I think everyone agrees that over the next few decades, we need to find a way to get to net zero emissions. Like that's the only way that we can avoid the worst outcomes of climate. And that path is not going to be easy. Right? There are some obvious things that everyone can do, but beyond that, uh, it is not clear how we get, get there. It, governments, companies and individuals will need fairly sophisticated and reliable decision-making tools to help them make this transition so that they know that they are on the right path and the decision and the steps that they are taking will help them meet the targets that they've set for themselves right so with with that sort of insight or hypothesis we we sort of started going down this path and starting step change and building these tools hi welcome to forbes india's the daily tech conversation where we bring you insights from tech entrepreneurs cxos and investors from around the world whose work has a bearing on india I'm Hari Arakli, and in this episode, Ankit Jain and Siddhant Pai, co-founders of Step Change, talk about the products they offer enterprise customers to track, manage, and reduce their carbon footprints. They also help companies attempting to build sustainable products get deep insights into the impact of their products and operations. Ankit and Siddhant are also developing Step Change into a SaaS software platform that businesses can use to also specifically target what are called scope 3 emissions which the entrepreneurs say are the most difficult to curtail for any company uh, ankit uh, siddhant welcome to this podcast and thank you for making time for this perhaps you also must have noticed that uh, an increasing number of young entrepreneurs are emerging with uh, innovative solutions in different areas of uh, the struggle to mitigate climate change and i'm definitely looking forward to learning more about your work today at step change maybe you all can start by giving us a sort of brief background about how you came to start this company uh, maybe a snapshot of your careers before uh, step change and we'll go from there sure hari and uh, first of all hari thank you so much for having us on your podcast it's an honor to be here and share our journey with you and, and your listeners on this platform uh so jumping into what got us here uh see first of all if you look at you know the recent climate events happening globally whether it's floods in pakistan or heat waves in europe mm-hmm. or you read the latest ipcc report it is clear that one climate change is very real right if anyone had that question right second its impact is happening much faster and wider than we had expected and third most importantly it is clear that we are not doing enough by a huge margin mm. So, in some sense, my belief and our belief is that this is the single biggest problem facing humanity today, and that anyone who can do something about it should be doing something about it. Mm. So, in fact, my personal journey in this space started about five years ago in electric mobility. So, prior to starting Step Change, I was leading the electric initiative at Ola, which later became Ola Electric. Mm. Um, so, so when I left Ola Electric to start my own business, it was clear that I really wanted to go after. this space and you know build the biggest and most impactful problem solve the biggest and most impactful problem in this space mm-hmm. uh, siddhant can you also give us a snapshot of the work that you did in fact ankit was just telling me before we started uh, recording you know you bring some serious scientific chops uh, to this you studied environmental science and so on yeah um that's nice of uh, that's nice of you to say hari uh, firstly like ankit was saying thank you so much for having us here Uh yeah I can give you a quick overview of of my background. Uh my uh, academic background has largely been in studying environmental science. So I did my undergrad at MIT in environmental science. In fact that's when uh Ankit and I overlapped at MIT. Uh-huh. 
when he was in business school and when I was uh, an undergrad. Uh, Post-undergrad and actually uh, while I was an undergrad, I co-founded a social enterprise uh, in Pune, which was in the waste management space, uh, working with waste pickers in Pune. Uh, Worked on to move back to India after I graduated and worked on that for a few years. Uh, I then went back to MIT in 2017 to start a PhD, largely focused on um, uh, developing models to simulate different uh, atmospheric pollutants. Uh, and over the course of my PhD work, got really interested in uh, environmental decision-making tools, uh, specifically air quality and climate decision-making tools. Uh, and so my uh, interest in this space is an attempt to kind of bring some uh, academic rigor uh, to developing real-world tools uh, for stakeholders to actually make decisions on climate. Uh, because like Ankit was saying, I think uh, it, is, uh, it is certainly the need of the hour. Mm. So this is uh, really fascinating. And, and given that in the U.S., the whole uh, translational research ecosystem is so much more mature. Uh, I'm thinking about uh, what might have been the kinds of applications of uh, your PhD work modeling atmospheric pollutants. Yeah, it's a it's a great question and uh, a really nuanced one. Uh, I was actually partly funded um, by this fellowship called the Tata uh-huh. Fellowship that uh, allowed me to travel uh, in India a decent amount, just engaging with stakeholders mm-hmm. here. So a big part of uh, my PhD work actually focused on just trying to understand from stakeholders on the ground, you know, the kinds of tools and solutions that they needed and were looking Mm. for, Uh, primarily on the air quality side, but also, you know, air quality and climate are so intertwined that it's hard to think of them as separate issues. Um, And so a big part of my PhD actually just focused on uh, gathering information from different stakeholders, uh, be it, uh, you know, government, um, private organizations, nonprofits, uh, advocacy groups, um, stakeholders like that who are, are, you know, still kind of looking for high quality tools with which they can make, um, you know, informed decisions. Mm-hmm. Excellent. So you all, uh, I guess, cross paths in MIT and uh, from your work, I can also see a mutual deep interest in, uh, in general, in uh, sustainability and uh, I guess in the larger sense of things uh, saving the planet. Uh, tell us about uh, Step Change itself. What uh, triggered the uh, initial idea about step change. I mean, I know that it's still a young company, uh, but you all must have started with some idea. Uh, tell us about that. Yeah, yeah. right. So, uh, sorry. In fact, uh, so Sid and I really sort of came together in in 2021. Uh, we were reintroduced through a common friend, and we you know started brainstorming on different ideas in the climate space. Mm. Not initially with the intent of starting something, right? Just learning from each other in some ways. Mm. And but soon realized that we could we could partner together to build something amazing, right? And because we brought complementary skills um, to the table, mm. we explored multiple ideas, right? From marketplaces for sustainable products to offsets to crypto coins on climate, to a bunch of different things, right? All all over the place. But one that finally clicked for us was this idea of making climate decision making. Mm. See, so it's. I, I think everyone agrees that over the next few decades, we need to find a way to get to net zero emissions. That's the only way that we can avoid the worst outcomes of climate change. Mm. And that path is not going to be easy. There are some obvious things that everyone can do, but beyond that, uh, it is not clear how we get get there. Governments, companies and individuals will need fairly sophisticated and reliable decision-making tools Mm. to help them make this transition. 
so that they know that they are on the right path and the decision and the steps that they are taking will help them meet the targets that they've set for themselves right so with mm-hmm. with that sort of insight or hypothesis we we sort of started going down this path and starting step change and building these tools mm. okay uh, give us a couple of examples of uh, you know the specific kinds of things that governments organizations individuals small businesses i mean whoever uh the kinds of decisions that they will need to make both on a sort of di- daily basis and the way you're describing it at sort of a nation scale or even planet scale what kind of decisions that people will have to make and 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 you're working in the field of uh, giving them that uh, information to make better decisions so uh, give us some examples to explain this yeah 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 so let me start with enterprises see in in enterprises you can think of fairly di- different types of decisions so one are decisions you make at a company level right how can i become a more sustainable company this involves for example measuring your scope 1 2 3 emissions understanding your air quality water waste impact and then saying do i set up solar panels do i change certain uh, travel policies do i change uh, allow different ways of commuting to office do i allow work from home uh what type of raw materials am i using what suppliers do i have how far am i transporting my product using what type of um uh, mode of transport so all of that right. and you can imagine thousands of decisions that go into running a large enterprise right in fact i would say millions of decisions mm-hmm. and each one will have an environmental impact right so it's almost like dual accounting in some ways right so just like how you think about every decision from a cost standpoint in a company you'll have to start thinking of every decision from a environmental standpoint so that's at a company level the company will also different companies will also start thinking about uh, uh, decisions at a product level right so let's say if you are a textile company you're thinking about hey how can i make the t-shirt i sell more sustainable mm. right? and when you're thinking of an sku level or a product level you have to really think about the cradle to grave impact of that product right mm. not just the impact within your own boundaries but how will the end customer use that product is the use of that product going to create additional emissions what happens at the end of life of that product mm. how was the cotton grown uh, for this particular product right and how much uh, supply chain is embodied uh, how much emissions are embodied in the supply chain of this product so all of that again uh, are things that a company needs to think about mm. and similarly companies need to spend time thinking about how are they going to um, build a sustainable culture within the organization right because sustainability is not always something you can push top down a lot of it is about uh, behaviors and decisions that are taken on the front lines of an organization so how do you how do you start building a culture around sustainability awareness how do you reward people around sustainability just like you reward them on performance so these are all the things that a company can do it similarly for an individual they can they they make choices about what products they buy what habits they follow right do i work from home today if i can do i go to the office if i'm going to the office do i carpool do i take um do i take my own car do i take public transportation do i consider buying an ev uh do i what type of air and air conditioning do i buy do i buy biodegradable home cleaners or do i buy normal home cleaners right so again every decision that you take to buy something right and a lot of behaviors that we do are decisions that can have huge impact in the long term right so creating awareness and creating incentives for customers to behave more sustainably mm. um on the government side well i i can talk about it but i was 
uh, Sid, maybe that's something since you've spent a bunch of time in that space. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to happy to answer that. Um, so it varies quite drastically depending on, you know, what type of governmental stakeholder um, you're talking about. Obviously, whether you're talking about the national government, the state government, um, the local city government, the levers uh, of change are quite different. Um, I've primarily worked with uh, with local uh, kind of uh, city level governments, and there are there are actually a bunch of different things that you can do at the city level to kind of ensure uh, more sustainable development. You know, like one in the way that you kind of zone um, different areas of the city, uh, in the way that you kind of think about uh, transportation infrastructure, for instance, to allow people to commute more sustainably, uh, in the way that you incentivize different businesses. Um, uh, I know that a lot of uh, governments at the state level and at the national and, and in, in India's case at the national level are now actually spending a lot of money uh, trying to incubate uh, startups and other companies that are uh, solving problems specific to that country. I think something that um, right. that we will need just as this globally is uh, is you know you you, de- you do need indigenous solutions to uh, to climate change right because the the kinds of um, the, the sources of different pollutants are, you know, different in different contexts and uh, the cultural and technology, technological solutions to those emissions are also uh, bespoke to, to different um, environments. And so having the ability uh, to, to incubate and generate and create solutions that are specific to the community you're trying to actually address uh, is useful. And mm. that those kinds of interventions uh, tend to occur more on the national and state level. Okay, so in this context now, in this backdrop, so tell us about uh, you know the first products and solutions that you are developing. Right. So uh, we we actually Hari have three different offerings today. Mm-hmm. Uh, one is uh, an ESG management tool for companies that are trying to become more sustainable. Right. So mm-hmm. this helps you as a company track your environmental footprint across a variety of parameters, including your carbon footprint, which is scope one, two, three emissions, mm-hmm. air quality, water, and waste. This is especially useful for large public companies, right? uh, mm. uh, given the new SEBI mandate around BRSR, where they have to report their ESG metrics in a fair bit of details, mm. or other companies that are starting to set net zero targets. Right? Okay. So that's that's one core offering for us. The second is we have a product lifecycle impact analysis tool. So what that helps companies do is understand the sustainability of their product across almost 18 different environmental parameters, anything in air quality, water, land use, carbon, ozone impact, ecotoxicity, et cetera. This is mainly targeted towards companies which are trying to build sustainable products right? mm. and uh, or environmental friendly products for the end customer. And lastly, we also have a tool that allows companies to launch sustainability programs for their employees right? and customers through a mobile application that they've built that gamifies the whole sort of transition to sustainability. And mm. so these are the three offerings that we are currently going to market with. And they are interlinked in many ways, uh, but uh, also end up targeting slightly different needs uh, for different companies. Mm. When did you all release these products? So uh, the uh, the sustainability teams, which is our product around employee transition, actually was released three months ago. Okay, and uh, the sustainable company and sustainable products uh, were released about uh, a month and a half ago. Yeah, uh, still early. Fair enough. Fair enough. What have been some of the early reactions, and also, 
what have been some early findings in terms of how they're actually working uh, at your customers uh, you know deployments yeah so we we've, we've had a fantastic feedback so far so on the on the app side we have thousands of users who are using that app taking daily actions to live a more sustainable life in fact collectively they've managed to save almost 7 million liters of water Uh-huh. avoided almost 30000 kgs of co2 and together planted 1700 trees so essentially the reward mechanism in the app today is that we plant a tree on your behalf whenever you hit your target for the week right so that's uh, that's the collective impact that uh, that we've had on the app side on the on the platform for companies we are now working with some of the largest companies in india to help them measure and reduce their scope 3 emissions Okay. Now, specifically talking about scope three because that's the hardest thing to measure and reduce, right? Because that often goes outside the direct control of a company. So that's where our focus has been. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, just to you know, uh, to get the general uh, listener some basic uh, definitions of what you're talking about. Uh, you mentioned uh, BRSR regulations from SEBI. Can you expand that for us and briefly tell us what that's about? Sure. 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 So. Uh, Till till last year, uh, any public company in India had to report something called BRR, which was the Business Responsibility Report, mm-hmm. uh, which was that in addition to your annual report where you would have your financial statements and other things, mm-hmm. you would write a Business Responsibility Report where you had to answer a bunch of questions around how you conduct your business responsibly from an environmental, social, and governance standpoint. Mm-hmm. Now that report was often subjective and would allow companies to. uh answer the question without necessarily going into the details mm. so last year sebi decided to change that to something called brsr which is the business sustainability and responsibility report okay where the reporting is now very thorough right so as part of that report you have to report very specific metrics around your carbon emissions your air quality impact um bunch of social metrics around um your uh, how you treat your employees your customers your larger stakeholders bunch of governance metrics very 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 detailed report mm. and it it becomes mandatory for the top 1000 listed companies in india starting the march of the current financial year oh, okay mm. and they have to report this uh, on an annual basis or quarterly basis how often so uh, as of now they have to report it on an annual basis okay but i'm sure like i mean for any good company internally they'll want to at least maintain it at a quarterly basis okay again uh, scope 3 sort of a no so i the way you think about scope 1 scope 2 and scope 3 so scope 1 largely think about fuel you're burning within your premises okay okay with could be fuel in the vehicles that the company owns or fuel could be literally wood or coal or other types of uh, things that you're burning within the company and mm-hmm. the emissions created directly in your company mm-hmm. uh, uh scope 2 ends up being largely electricity use and the emissions because of that electricity right so if you are taking electricity from the grid which is getting electricity from a thermal power plant so the emissions at that thermal power plant because of the electricity you used that scope 2 okay scope 2 okay. is almost everything else right it includes all the things that you buy and the emissions involved in building those products and services okay it includes any upstream and downstream transportation that the company might do right? it includes all your employee commute it includes any business travel it includes the use of your products over their entire life 
It includes the end-of-life treatment of your product. So there's actually 15 different categories of emissions that come under scope 3. But it's you can think of it as everything else apart from you know, scope 1 and scope 2. All right. Give us one or two examples of uh, the way the mobile app works. What do people track? Uh, how does the app uh, nudge them to take action? The, the way people use the app, when they get started, they create their baseline of what is their footprint today. Right. Uh, that's to so you know where you're getting started. Right. Then the first thing you do in the app is set a target for yourself, which is how sustainable do you want to be? Do you want to reduce your footprint by five percent, ten percent, twenty five percent, and how how quickly? Then the app bases your footprint, recommends steps to you out of you know a library of hundreds of steps. What are the 10, 20, 30 most impactful things you can do to be more sustainable? Mm. Then you as a user, depending on what's feasible for you. Uh, if it's easier for you to be a vegan one day in a week, you pick that. If it's easier for you to work from home, you pick that. But you pick different steps. And you set a, sort of a target for yourself. As you hit those targets, you get rewarded. Mm. And uh, with the enterprise products, uh, give us a sense of uh, how your tech actually works. How do you capture the data that you need in order to give the insights that you give these companies? Uh, how does your tech integrate with their systems? Uh, so the answer, the, the it's a long answer, sure. so I'll try and keep it succinct. Uh, but uh, it starts with an with a rigorous accounting uh, practice. So basically, the idea first is kind of similar to what Ankit was saying on the the app side of things. On the enterprise side of things, is to benchmark uh, that organization, right? So where do you lie relative to um, uh, where you want to lie, and relative to where other people in your sector lie. And the way to do that is to go through a pretty rigorous accounting process that says, okay, uh, based, based on kind of our understanding of your organizational uh, hierarchy, where are your uh, emissions coming from, um, both in terms of the, like physically, where are they coming from, but then also within your business operations, where uh, which, which, of, which ones of your business operations are the most carbon intensive. So that um, to actually go through that accounting process, um, requires a number of different data streams uh, and I'm happy to kind of dive deep into, into the way we do it if, if that's helpful. But uh, let's just take one kind of high level example where let's say uh, Ankit talked about uh, scope three emissions, uh, which largely have to do with your, your supply chain and your broader kind of value chain. Uh, these tend to be notoriously difficult to account for because you have no uh, transparency into what goes into actually manufacturing some of the things that you buy. So what we do is we will say, okay, uh, if you have a sense of um, if, if if you have a sense of what you're purchasing, so an example data stream there could be your purchase registry. We then map uh, what you've purchased to uh, to to, to uh, in our backend kind of a model that says for this type of product, this is kind of an assumed life cycle uh, that that we've modeled for, let's say hypothetically a kilogram of yarn, let's say you run like an apparel company and you purchase a kilogram of yarn, what uh, stages did that kilogram of yarn have to go through in order to get to you? And what is there for its embodied carbon? So we have, we're building models to help with that process. So then what we require from you as the company is basically just tell us how many kilograms of yarn have you purchased? And then based on that, we will give you an estimate uh, as to what we think the embodied emissions are associated with that, that kilogram. You can imagine kind of going through this uh, exercise across uh, everything that mm. you purchase, uh, across uh, multiple different activities that you pursue. 
and then you aggregate that uh, and you get a breakdown of your uh, scope one, scope two, scope three, like Ankit was saying. Scope one is kind of your direct emissions. Scope two is your emissions, indirect emissions because of purchased energy. And then scope three are emissions within your broader value chain. So that is a, kind of the accounting exercise uh, in a nutshell. And, and based on uh, this accounting, do you also make recommendations? I mean, like the mobile app suggests things exactly. to the individual, then you now your enterprise solution makes recommendations to the company about what kind of steps they can take. Exactly. And in fact, no, I'm very glad you brought that up because in fact, the way that we think about the value that we add in the long term is actually uh, in that decision-making space, right? So once you have rigorously accounted for your carbon emissions, what do you actually do about mm. them? So where do you actually, uh, wh- where do you actually target uh, if you are interested in ma- in hitting that zero uh, it, let, okay, let's actually, before we even get there, how do you actually come up with a net zero mm. plan? How do you come up with net zero targets? And then once you have those targets, uh, what are the interventions that you will prioritize within your business in order to actually achieve those goals? So th- that is actually a very non-trivial process and an extremely complex process. And you can imagine the larger the business, the more complex it is, the more complex the, that decision making tends to be. And so what we are doing is hopefully trying to develop um, useful tools for companies to quickly iterate through different scenarios and understand, you know, what is the best kind of bang for your buck in terms of areas within your business that you can focus on uh, from a decarbonization perspective, if you're interested in actually hitting your net zero goals. Okay. Uh, Can you talk about any early uh, customers uh, who might be trying out your solutions? Yeah, before that, I just wanted to add a little bit to what Sid was saying. Uh-huh. See, and and the way we are doing things differently, right, is see, you can always go work with the company and bespoke help them on on this path, right? You you mm-hmm. understand the company deeply and you give them a report on what they can do. Mm-hmm. The challenge with this space is it's constantly evolving, mm-hmm. right? So what we believe is we need to empower our clients to be able to do all of this themselves. Right? right. So hence, we are not taking a services or consulting based approach to solving this problem, but really productizing it through a software mm. and helping and training uh, the right teams at, at our customers to be able to take on this starter by themselves. Right. Right. So it's 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 closer to the software as a service model rather than. Correct. Uh, Correct. Yeah. OK, uh, fair enough. In fact, I was going to ask you to briefly explain your business model to us. Maybe you want to delve into that a little bit. Yeah, so uh, we are essentially an enterprise SaaS product. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, there's um, which a typical SaaS-based business model. We, of course, uh, given the how new the space is, and uh, we spend a bunch of time upfront with our customers to make sure we we understand different data streams that are available in the company, who are the right stakeholders. What are they really looking for and set up the product in a way that it would work best for them. We also make sure that our product, in order to work with our product, they don't have to touch other pieces of the organization. Right? Mm. We literally take the accounting data that you have, the reimbursements data that you have, the HR data that you have in whatever format that you have so that it can be downloaded from those systems and put into our data seamlessly. Because the key here is when you are doing this accounting, which has to be audited since it has to be reported from a regulatory standpoint, that that audit stream is clear, clean. Okay. Like someone can literally look at your financial data that is audited and directly be able to correlate it to the emissions 
that you've reported, right? And there's very little space for human error. Hmm. Any early customers that you can talk about? Uh, by name, no, but I can tell you that, uh, you know, the type of places that where we've been working and types of use cases that we've gone after. So we've been working with certain manufacturing companies, specifically textile companies, on helping them understand their entire scope one, scope two, and scope three emissions, mm-hmm. uh, understanding the environmental impact of their product. We're working with, starting to work with one of the largest financial services companies in the country and helping them not just with their scope one, two, three, but also looking at how we can go beyond and think about things like climate risk and sustainable finance. Uh, we are also working with certain SaaS companies uh, who are uh, who want to use our employee side solution to bring in more sustainability at a cultural level. Right. And also some FMCG or consumer goods companies which are looking uh, to build sustainable products and understanding uh, what they can do in their supply chain to to you know make their products more sustainable. Mm. Give us a sort of an overall sense of uh, the scope of the opportunity in front of you. No, I'm I'm I'm, I'm glad you asked that question, Ari. So McKinsey, for example, estimates that the transition towards net zero will create a new revenue worth twelve trillion dollar globally by 2030. Mm. Right? So in that sense, because every industry. It, any industry you can imagine, right? Mobility, uh, real estate, power, manufacturing, consumer products, water waste, everything has to go through that transition. Right. right? And so in that sense, the overall opportunity is infinite, right? But our preferred way to think about opportunity is almost in terms of scope of reduction uh, or emissions reduction. Mm. And almost 70% of emissions today sit in the supply chains that companies have. Mm. So our biggest focus is to go after those scope three emissions, those supply chain emissions and help large enterprises with, you know, supply chains that crisscross the globe, understand and then reduce those emissions. Okay. Uh, I get that, uh, you know, your products are at uh, sort of an early stage. People are just beginning to use them. But any uh, thoughts on what it has already shown you in terms of what might be your biggest challenges going ahead as you, you know, in startup parlance, you all talk about product market fit and things like that. So I, um, there are a few challenges that we foresee. So today, for example, our product is built largely India-centric. Uh-huh. right? And as we build the product to be more global, uh, to be world-class, to be able to help global companies with their you know, supply chains that are spread across the world, mm-hmm. how, do you, how do you manage that complexity? That's that's going to be core for this product to be successful. Mm. Second, uh, which we've already touched upon, Sid talked about, is the ability to productize reduction. Mm. Right. So while we managed to successfully create a product around measuring your emissions, uh, reduction is is still something that is going to evolve. Right. Because constantly there are new ways of reducing emissions. Right. So that. Uh, creating a great product around that, which not only helps companies understand, but also reduce their emissions. I think that's that's going to be core. And then, of course, as any um, any SaaS company scaling up to you know hundreds and thousands of customers and still maintaining the same quality, etc. I think that's going to be a challenge that you know we'll have to deal with. And, and in terms of the type of experts you will need to recruit for your team, give us a sense of uh, what you all have put together already and. Uh, what yeah. kind of talent do you need to bring in? Will you be able to find them in India? 
Sure, absolutely. Um, so I'll I'll talk about the research side of things, and maybe Ankit can talk a little bit more about kind of the the broader company. Mm-hmm. On the research side, um, so we have a dedicated research team that consists of uh, a team of talented analysts that are you know young, uh, passionate individuals looking to actually work in the climate mm-hmm. space. Uh, we've actually found that uh, there are a lot of people in India who, you know, very intelligent, very motivated, uh, passionate, and are looking for opportunities to learn more about the space. You know, they may have graduated uh, out of college a few years ago, or may have just graduated out of college, and are looking to kind of uh, be mission aligned with uh, with their right. values. Uh, so we've we've managed to kind of find a great team of analysts that are really passionate about what they do and and just interested in the space. Um, at the at the most senior level, uh, it is a little challenging to find um people with deep expertise in in climate accounting and um and you know um mitigation uh, in in mm-hmm. india uh so we've we've actually built uh, an international team and so we uh, leverage experts from uh, from different countries um we have a team of advisors that are um largely us based but also um a few in europe uh the team itself is about nine people right now soon to be mm-hmm. 10 people um and it's a mix of, you know, a couple of PhDs, me included, uh, people with consulting experience in the environmental space. Uh, and then, like I said, you know, just talented analysts who who are very motivated to actually learn and, and contribute. Uh, there's also a pretty heavy, you know, data science, data modeling uh, element to this. Um, a lot of which uh, I uh, focus on right now, but we're actively uh, building our team uh, on that side of things as well. Uh, again, there uh, there definitely exists. I, I don't think there's any uh, dearth of talent uh, in India. I think it's just in this space in particular, uh, a lot of people don't necessarily have the the exposure uh, to the accounting process and things like that. So there is also a learning curve associated when when you hire someone mm-hmm. new. And, and and how are you guys funding your operations? So uh, Hari, we actually raised a pre-seed round uh, earlier this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's uh, and and we raised. Uh, enough for us to last for us for a few years so okay. we're we're well capitalized and i think uh, we also expect to see revenue starting to come in fairly soon so i think uh, with that you know we we're, we're good to go for for quite some time do you all want to say how much money you raised and and who are some <laughs> of your important investors uh yeah so happy to share our investors so uh GFC of Global Founders Capital was a lead investor in the PC round, uh, but it was participated by other Asian and Indian investors. So we had Bnext, uh, who came in, Saison Capital, Whiteboard Capital, as well as Special Investor. These were uh, our five largest investors who were there. And then we had over 20 angel investors as well, uh, who were part of that round, who include you know, fairly senior executives, entrepreneurs, and people who really understand the climate space right. uh, from India, from Southeast Asia, from US. Hmm. I'm I'm curious as to you know going through the process of meeting investors and explaining your work to them. Um, if that gave you some insight into how investors are looking at uh, climate change, and and I guess you all had the op- the advantage of uh, projecting your company as a an enterprise SaaS company, which probably made some of that easy, but overall, I'm sure you got some insight into how investors are looking at climate change. Yes, and and I would say there are uh, so one the good thing is that most investors now understand climate. Right? Uh-huh. They understand that there there is a huge need. They understand that it's also a huge opportunity that 
um, a lot of large companies will get created in the space. Mm. And, uh, you know, thanks to the likes of Elon Musk and Tesla and everyone, like it, it is clear that this is the future. Mm. Um, so with that said, I think there hasn't been enough time with climate tech, especially in India, uh, that people really understand what models work, how the market is going to behave, etc. So a lot of um, early stage investors in this space uh, build confidence uh, around the founders, they build confidence around the broader market uh, and, and spent a fair bit of time understanding this. So in fact, a lot of our investors who came in had spent a lot of time understanding this space. Okay. Right? Uh, there are also a, a lot of investors currently who don't fully yet you know, understand this space. And I'm sure over the next you know, few years, uh, we'll, we'll see that transition. All right. Okay. So you have uh, an initial team. Uh, you have some funding. You know the runway of some years, couple of years, I'm sure. Um, yeah. And and say and also I guess because you said revenues will start coming in soon. Uh, over the next 12, 18 months, what are your top priorities? So uh, the biggest priority for us today is see, given this um, BRSR thing in the top thousand listed companies in India that will needs a solution for them to start reporting. Mm. We want to become a partner of choice for any large enterprise in India that is starting this transition to net zero, right? That's the single most important thing for us. Uh, we, of course, want to build an excellent team. Uh, I would say we want to be the best climate science team in India and in the broader region. We, uh, we want to create, um, you know, a very compelling product and, and be known for the uh, the thoughtfulness and the you know the reliability of the product um, you know so that's that's what we're going after that's good really interesting conversation gentlemen uh, wonderful to learn about your work thank you again for making time for this and definitely hope to keep the conversation going thank you Hart. thanks Harry. thank you thank you that's it for this conversation you can find all our podcasts at forbesindia.com and on your favorite podcast apps I'm Hari Arakali. Thank you for listening.